0: We' be reading from Luke chapter five verses 1 through 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Geneet. And he said he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out for a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we have toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners, In the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell on his knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, for now you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. You may be seated.
1: Good morning. It is good to be together this morning. Appreciate the time that we've been able to spend in worship together already. And really excited about this time that we're going to be able to spend in Bible study together. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn with me to Luke the 5th chapter. Luke chapter 5. We're going to be reading where Joseph just so capably read for us from Luke chapter 5. And we're going to be studying in the first 11 verses of that chapter. Luke chapter 5 you have your copy of God's Word, we're going to be in verses 1 through 11, if you'll join me there. Whenever I was in the fifth grade, my family took a trip to Walt Disney World in Florida. It was me, my parents, my grandparents, and my sister. On the day when we went to Hollywood Studios, which is one of the four parks in Disney World, my dad, my grandfather, and I were planning to ride... The rock and Roller Coaster. Now this was a pretty big deal for me. I had ridden roller coasters before. I had ri- ridden roller coasters in the past. But I had never ridden a roller coaster that went upside down. So I was a little bit scared. I was a little bit nervous. But I was going to do it anyway. We got in line. We got to the very front of the line. We were just about to get on the ride. Whenever my grandfather pulled me aside with a very serious look, he asked, are you sure you want to do this? And I shook my head nervously, yeah, I I think I want to do this. And then he started asking me all kinds of questions. Do you know that this roller coaster goes upside down? Do you know that this roller coaster goes from zero miles per hour to 60 miles per hour in about three seconds? Do you know that once you get in there, it's going to be really dark and you're not going to be able to see anything? Do you know when you get in there, it's going to be really loud and, and all that you're going to hear is this rock and roll music by Aerosmith? Do you know... That once you get on this ride and the ride starts going, you're not going to be able to get off. Even if you get scared, even if you want to get off, you're going to be stuck there. And then the one that got me the most, did you know that a little boy a few years ago, about your age, passed away on this roller coaster? He was asking me all of these questions, and by the time he asked all these questions, I wasn't so sure that I wanted to go on the roller coaster anymore. Well, I ended up getting on it, really enjoyed it, survived it, and uh, actually did it a couple more times that day. When I think about my grandfather and him asking all of those questions, he wasn't trying to scare me. He wasn't trying to intimidate me. The reason that he asked all of those questions, he told me later, is because he wanted me to know what I was getting into. He wanted me to know the essentials of the rock and roll and roller coaster before I actually got on it. In this series of lessons, we're talking about the invitation that Jesus extends to each one of us, the invitation, follow me. Isn't it awesome to think that Jesus wants us to follow Him? Isn't it awesome to think that Jesus invites us to follow after Him? I want to suggest to you this morning, before we accept that invitation, we need to know what we're getting into. We need to know what we're getting into before we actually get into it. Before we accept this amazing invitation from Jesus, we need to know the essentials. We need to know what's going to be required of us. In fact, if you go a little bit further in the Gospel of Luke, to Luke chapter 14, verses 28 through 32, Jesus uses two illustrations to present that idea to us. The first illustration is in verses 28 through 30. Jesus asks the question, hey, I want you to imagine that you're going to build a tower. What's the first step? The first step is not going and getting the materials. The first step is not starting the manual labor and starting to go up. Jesus says, first, if you're going to build a tower, you have to count the cost. You need to sit down and think about what you're getting into. You need to sit down and think about, do I have enough money? Do I have enough resources to see this project through to the end? The next illustration makes the same point in Luke 14, verses 31 and 32. Jesus says, imagine a king. A king who's going to go off to battle and is going to go off to wage war on another king. What's he going to do first? What's the first step? The first step is not rallying the troops. The first step is not picking up your sword or your spear or your bow and arrow like they would have done back in this time. The first step is counting the cost. Before they ever get out on the battlefield, before he even decides to go out on the battlefield, he says the king is going to sit down and he's going to deliberate. He's going to think about do I really need to do this? Will this number of soldiers that I have be able to be victorious and overcome the amount of soldiers that the other king has? What's the point? You want to build a tower? You better think about what you're getting into, you better count the cost. If you're a king who's going to wage war on another king, you better spend some time thinking about that. Thinking about what you're getting into. You better count the cost. Do you want to follow after Jesus? The same message applies. You need to count the cost. You need to know the essentials. You need to know what's going to be required of you. You need to know what you're getting into. So often, those who devote their lives to Jesus, so often those who decide to follow after Jesus, they don't think about this. They don't understand this. They don't think about how this one decision is going to change everything. They don't think about what they're getting into before they actually get into it. They don't think about what a relationship with Jesus is going to look like on a daily basis. They don't consider the essentials. And because they don't consider the essentials, I think that's why so many Christians fall away from the Lord. I think that's why so many Christians fall away from Jesus, because they don't think about what they're getting into before they get into it. So this morning, let's think about that. What are the essentials in following Jesus, according to Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11? What's going to be required of me if I decide to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, in the way that I live, in the way that I speak, in the way that I think? I believe in these 11 verses, we find three ideas that are non-negotiable. If we're going to follow Jesus, these three things have to be a part of our lives. If these three things are not a part of our lives, then we're not going to be able to follow Jesus. Before we get into that though, let's talk a little bit about the setting of what's going on in the first three verses of Luke chapter 5. Luke tells us that Jesus was standing on the shore of the lake of Genesaret. There's another name, another title for the Lake of Genesaret in the Gospels. Do you know what it is? It's the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is standing on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and as He's standing there, we see His popularity among the common people. The text says that a large crowd came to Him to hear the Word of God. If you back up just two verses, Luke chapter 4 and verse 43, Jesus says, I must preach the good news of the Kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Why was Jesus here? Why did God come to earth in the form of man? Jesus says one of those purposes was to preach the Word of God, to preach the good news, to teach people about the Kingdom of God. And that's exactly what He's doing in Luke chapter 5, verses 1-3. through three. This large crowd comes to Him to hear Him proclaim God's Word, and He meets their need. There's a problem though. The text says that this crowd was pressing in on Jesus. They were pressing in on Him from every side. They were enclosing Him on every side in a way that it was hindering His teaching. So Jesus, standing on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, looks over and sees a couple of boats that are empty. The fishermen, who we're going to talk about a little bit later, Peter, James, and John are mentioned, but more than likely Andrew was there as well, Simon Peter's brother. They're over cleaning their nets. They're over washing their nets, and their boats are sitting there empty. Jesus asked Simon if he could get into his boat and be put out a little bit from the land. And that's exactly what he did. It created a natural barrier between himself and the crowd. Jesus was trying to teach standing on the shore. The crowd was pressing in on him. It was hindering him. Now that Jesus is a little bit removed from them, he's out on the sea in a boat. They're standing on the shore. He's able to teach them in a way that is clear. He's able to teach them in a way that is unhindered. And it's in that Context, it's in that setting that we find three essentials for following after Jesus. Number one, essential number one, if we're going to follow after Jesus, then we must be obedient. I think we find that in Luke chapter five, verses four through seven. Whenever Jesus finished speaking to the crowd standing on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, He spoke directly to Simon Peter in verse number 4 and He gave him two commands. Command number one, put out into the deep. In the original language, that command is singular. He's speaking directly to Peter. Peter, take this boat that I, I was just in, take it out into the deeper water. Put out into the deep. But then He gives a second command, let down your nets for a catch. In the original, that command is plural. See, first, he commands Peter, take your boat out into the deeper water. Then he commands those who would have been with Peter, when you go out into the deeper water, let down your nets for a catch of fish. Sounds like a pretty good plan, doesn't it? Well, Peter has a problem with it. Peter pushes back just a little bit. Whenever you look at verse number 5, Simon answered, Master, That word master is a word that refers to a great teacher. He, as well as the crowd standing on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, they had just heard Jesus teach more than likely for several hours. After listening to Jesus' teaching, he addresses him, Master, great teacher, we have toiled all night and took nothing. Can you imagine how frustrating that would have been? Can you imagine how tired these men would have been? They toiled. What does that word toil bring up in your mind? It's hard work. It's labor. It's not easy. He said, we've been working hard all night. We've been fishing throughout the entire night. And we did not catch a single thing. Back in this time, they fished with nets. It was a whole lot easier to fish with nets in the nighttime because the fish couldn't see the nets. In the daytime, they could see the nets and evade them, but that wasn't the case at night. They had fished the entire night when the setting was more opportune and didn't catch anything. Now Jesus is telling them in the daytime, in the sunshine, to go out into the deep water and to let out their nets for a catch. If we didn't catch anything when the circumstances are better at night, then we're definitely not going to catch anything when the circumstances are worse during the day. And then add on top of that, what were they doing whenever Jesus started teaching? They were washing their nets. You take the nets and throw them back into the water, what are they going to have to do again? They're going to have to wash their nets again. Simon Peter was a professional fisherman. This wasn't for recreation. He wasn't just fishing because he liked to fish like some of us might do. He was fishing for his livelihood. Go out into the deeper water. Put out your nets for a catch. Jesus, that really doesn't make sense. You're telling us to do this, but this doesn't seem right because we worked all night and didn't catch a single thing. But that's not where Peter stops. At the end of verse number five, he says, but at your word, I will let down the nets. Jesus, what you're telling me to do doesn't really make sense. It doesn't really add up in my mind. It doesn't really seem right. But just because you told me to do it, I'm going to do it. At your word, I will let down the nets. What is he doing? He's obeying Jesus. He's doing what Jesus told him to do. And what was the result? He goes out into the deeper water. He lets down the nets. And he gets a large catch. Didn't catch anything all night, but catches a large catch in that circumstance. How large was it? It was so large that the nets that were designed for fishing were breaking. It was so large that he had to call his partners. James and John identified in verse number 10, the sons of Zebedee. He had to call his partners to come help him with it because he couldn't handle it by himself. It was so large that as they put the fish into the boat, the boat started to sink. Isn't that amazing? Simon Peter obeys Jesus. And is rewarded greatly for it with a large catch of fish. If we're going to follow after Jesus, then we must be obedient to Jesus. Even when it doesn't make sense. Even when it doesn't add up. Even if we would have said or done it in a different way. Even if something else makes more sense in our minds. We have to submit ourselves to Him. You can't follow Jesus if you're not going to obey Jesus. It's kind of like this. In Mark 16 and 16, Jesus says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Jesus, you're telling me that I need to be baptized to be saved? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Why do I have to be immersed in water for you to save me from my sin? Why can't I just place my faith in you? Or what about Matthew 5 and verse 39? If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Jesus, do you not know what's going to happen when I do that? If someone's already slapped me on the right cheek and I turn the other one to him, what's he going to do? He's going to slap me again. He's going to hurt me again. Jesus, the command just doesn't make sense. What about what we talked about last Sunday night in Matthew 19 and verse 9? Jesus says, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Jesus, are you telling me the only way that I can biblically divorce my spouse and remarry somebody else in the future is if sexual immorality has taking place? What about all these other reasons to get a divorce? What about all these other reasons to remarry somebody else in the future? You know how Jesus responds to that question and, and questions like them? John chapter 14 and verse 15, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll do what I'm commanding you to do. If you want to follow me, if you want to step in my footsteps, then you're going to submit yourself to me in obedience. What happens when we do that? Well, just like Peter and more than likely Andrew, James and John, whenever we obey Jesus, we're going to be rewarded greatly for it. Not rewarded with a large catch of fish, but rewarded with eternal life. Jesus says in Revelation 2 and verse 10, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. It's not always easy to obey Jesus, but it's always worth it to obey Jesus. If we're going to follow Him, then we have to be obedient to Him. Number two, if we're going to follow Jesus, then we must have a proper perspective. We have to have a proper perspective on our relationships with Him. Peter has just witnessed an amazing miracle in Luke the 5th chapter. He has witnessed amazing power from Jesus. Out of astonishment, out of amazement, in verse number nine, notice how he responds in verse number eight. In his response, we see a proper perspective. First, Peter has a proper perspective of who Jesus is. We saw back in verse number five, Peter identified Jesus as the master, he's a great teacher. How did he identify Jesus in verse number eight? The Lord. Can you see a change there? He sat at Jesus' feet and listened to Jesus' teaching. And walks away calling him Master, Great Teacher. He witnesses Jesus' miracle, bows down at Jesus' knees and identifies him as the Lord. The one who has all authority. The leader, the commander, the one who is in charge. Now, I don't think that Peter understands everything about who Jesus is at this point, and what it means for Jesus to be the Lord at this point, but I think this is where the understanding begins. This is where the understanding starts. Who is Jesus to Peter? He's the Lord. He not only has a proper perspective of who Jesus is, but notice he also has a proper perspective of himself in verse number 8. If I were Peter, and I witnessed a miracle like this one, I might have responded with a bunch of questions. Coming back with a large catch of fish. Jesus, how did you know that was going to be there? How did you know that would happen? Did you cause that to happen? If you did cause it to happen, then how did you cause it to happen? I I want to know how all of this worked. That's not what Peter does. Peter responds to this amazing miracle in verse number 8 by falling down at Jesus' knees. Why would you fall down at somebody's knees? The only reason you would fall down at somebody's knees is if you recognize that they're greater than you are. You recognize that they're more powerful than you. They are superior to you. I think Peter realizes that. Jesus is greater than I am. Jesus is more powerful than I am. And so he falls down at Jesus' knees, and what does he say? Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. As he witnesses this amazing miracle, one thing that Peter begins to see is his own sin he sees the sin the wickedness the evil that's present in his life and he tells Jesus you need to leave you need to depart from me and it's not anything to do with you you don't need to leave because there's something wrong with you you need to leave because there's something wrong with me I'm not worthy to be in your presence I don't deserve to be here right now I know who you are you're the Lord and I know who I am I'm a sinful man who doesn't deserve to be anywhere near you. It reminds me of what Isaiah did in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 5. Remember that text where he sees the Lord sitting on His throne, high and lifted up with the train of His robe filling the temple? Whenever he sees the seraphim, the flaming ones, the angels, circling God's throne, crying out in praise to Him, He's the one who is holy, holy, holy. How did Isaiah respond? Verse 5, I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Isaiah recognized the same thing in the presence of the Lord that Peter did. I don't deserve to be here. I am a sinful man. I am a man of unclean lips. If we're going to follow Jesus, we must have a proper perspective. We need to have a proper perspective on who He is. And we need to have a proper perspective on who we are. A writer, an author, once said, most people in most churches think they're following Jesus. He says, I'm not so sure. They may think they're following Jesus, but the reality is this, they've invited Jesus to follow them. Is that true in your life? Are you accepting Jesus' invitation to follow Him? Or have you extended an invitation to Jesus, I want you to follow Me? Whose agenda rules the day? In your life, Who's in the driver's seat? It all goes back to this perspective that we see in the Apostle Peter in Luke chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. We need to have a proper perspective on who Jesus is if we're going to follow him. Who is he? Well, that's what we've been talking about over the last couple weeks, isn't it? We studied from John chapter 6 that we follow Jesus not because of what he gives, but because of who he is. And then last week, we're in the first chapter of Colossians, thinking about who Jesus is, thinking about his identity. Jesus is the Lord. He's the one in charge. He's the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. He is the Son of God. Jesus is God the Son. Now, who are we? Especially, who are we in relation to Him? Sometimes we like to think of ourselves as something really special. But in order to follow Jesus, we need to have a perspective on ourselves that says, depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. See, Jesus is the Lord. I'm the sinful person. Jesus is the one who is exalted over everything, like we talked about last week in Colossians chapter 1. He is the one who is preeminent. He's the one who ranks number one. I'm the one falling down at his knees. Jesus is the leader, the one who has all authority. And I'm the one who follows in his footsteps in everything I do and in everything that I say. See, when you lose that perspective, you're no longer following Jesus. When we elevate our view of ourselves and we lower our view of Jesus, when we shift or change that perspective in Luke chapter 5, we're no longer able to follow Jesus. If we're going to follow Jesus, then we have to have a proper perspective. And then number three, if we're going to follow Jesus, then we have to fulfill our mission. Peter falls down at Jesus' knees and says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. You might think Jesus would respond to that by talking about forgiveness. Or talking about reconciliation. Talking about grace and mercy and redemption. He doesn't. When Peter confesses his sinfulness at the feet of Jesus, Jesus doesn't respond by talking about forgiveness. He responds by talking about mission. And you see that in verse 10. I don't know about you, but if I witnessed this miracle, I might have been a little bit intimidated. I imagine that Peter was a little bit intimidated. Some fear existed in his heart. Jesus says, don't be afraid. Don't be fearful. Because look at these next three words. From now on. Don't you love those three words? Peter is focused on Peter's past. Peter is focused on the fact that he's a sinful man, and because of the sins he's committed, he doesn't deserve to be in Jesus' presence. Jesus isn't focused on Peter's past like Peter is. Jesus is focused on the present moment forward. The present into the future. From now on. In other words, Peter, this is where your life changes. This is where your life shifts. This is where from this moment forward, nothing is going to be the same for you. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. I love the way that Jesus says that. Jesus is not taking a fisherman and making him into a preacher. He's not taking a fisherman and making him into an apostle. Instead, he's taking a fisherman and turning him into somebody who fishes for men. Someone who catches fish, who is now going to catch people catch individuals catch men and women by the grace of Jesus he's not asking Peter to become something that he's not instead here's what you do every day here's the talents that you already have now use that to serve people use that to spiritually benefit the people that you're going to be around the people who you're coming into contact with that's the mission that Jesus offers to Peter, if Peter is going to follow Jesus, it has to be a from now on moment where he's going to be focused on mission. The same thing is true for us. If we're going to follow Jesus, then we have to fulfill our mission. And really it's not our mission, but it's the mission that Jesus has given to us. Did you know that Jesus has given to us the same mission that he gave to the apostles? You go to Matthew the 28th chapter verses 19 and 20. What are we supposed to do? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit and teaching them, Jesus says, to observe everything that I've commanded with the assurance I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. We are to be those in Mark 16 and 15 who go into all the world and proclaim the Gospel to the whole creation. You know where that starts? See, there's not one person that can go to the entire world and proclaim the Gospel to the entire creation That in Mark 16 and 15 starts in the heart. It starts in the home. It starts in the workplace. It starts where you go to school. The world that you live in. The people who you're around every day. Go into all the world. Go into your world. And proclaim the Gospel to the whole creation. What about 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10? We are ambassadors for Christ. Usually ambassadors have to go somewhere in order to serve as an ambassador to a foreign nation. As ambassadors for Christ, we don't go anywhere. We go out into the world. We go out and we live our lives on a daily basis and God makes His appeal through us. If we're going to follow Jesus, then we have to fulfill that mission. I know it can be intimidating, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Allow God to make this appeal of salvation through you. That can be something that, that is fearful. That, that can be something that's intimidating. What does Jesus say? Don't be afraid. Don't be fearful. Because from now on, look, I, I have a past. And I've done some things in my past that I'm not proud of. And because I've done so many bad things in my past, I don't think I can fulfill this mission That Jesus is giving to me. Jesus isn't focused on your past. Jesus is focused from now on. Jesus is focused on the present going into the future. Jesus is not in this mission. He's not talking to you about who you were. He's talking to you about who you are. And who you can become. From now on, don't don't be afraid. Don't be intimidated. Because from now on, you will be catching men Jesus is not asking you to become something that you're not and by that I mean in order to fulfill this mission you don't have to become a preacher you don't have to become a missionary use the talents that you already have to spiritually benefit other people when you go out into the world go out in the world as a Christian when you go to work go to work as a Christian. When you go to school, go to school as a Christian. Go to school as a follower of Jesus. Use what you already have. Use the places where you already go to spiritually benefit other people. To introduce lost souls to not only their Creator, but also their potential Savior. See, in this text, there are three essentials. These are non negotiable If you're going to follow Jesus, then these three things have to be a part of your life. These three things have to live within your heart. If we're going to follow Jesus, we have to be obedient to Him. If we're going to follow Jesus, we have to maintain a proper perspective of who He is and who we are. If we're going to follow Jesus, then we have to fulfill our mission. Maybe you're taking a look at your life and realizing that's not really who I am. That's not who I've been over the last little while. Three words. From now on. In this text, Jesus is not talking to you about your past. He's not asking, have you followed me in the past? He's saying, are you willing to follow me now? Until the day that you die, or until the day that I return. Can we help you to do that this morning? If we can, then please come forward, as together we stand and sing.